You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could open up at the Gospel of John. Just while we're doing that, it's brilliant, noble, and Ivy, and Ezra, and Caleb, and Naomi to be celebrating with you. Obviously, we can see Noble's got something to sing about. <laughs> he doesn't have a Facebook page, but we can still hunt him down. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking really about the whole thing of family this morning. Denzel Washington says, my ultimate life dream project is my kids, my family. I wonder if you're a parent here this morning, what your approach is to family. If you're a parent raising your kid in London, you must be loaded I discovered this week that according to the insurer LV, the cost of raising one child is more than a quarter of a million pounds. This is Noble and Ivy's third. (laughs) He's obviously more than a teacher. (laughs) The reality is parenting is a very costly thing. It's actually a very difficult task. I read about the six deadly sins of parenting this week. I wonder how many you are guilty of. The first one is helicopter parenting. Too much hovering, just watching your kids, not letting go. The second one is called hothouse parenting, where you put pressure, pressure, pressure upon the kids. The third one is called buddy parenting, being a friend but not a parent. What they really need is a parent. The fourth deadly sin of parenting is trophy parenting. I really want an emphasis on their results because if they do well, it makes me look great. The fifth one is bubble wrap parenting, overprotective of this little darling that we never want to let go. And the sixth deadly sin I read about this week is called secondary parenting, where we always outsource the job to somebody else. I'm hoping that what I share this morning is going to inspire you guys to be absolutely fantastic parents. And I'm hoping everyone else here that is a parent, about to be a parent, you just think, actually, yeah, what kind of parent could I be? Samuel Jackson, the American actor and film producer, said this, my dad was an absentee dad, so it was always important to me that I was part of my daughter's life. She deserved two parents, which is part of the rationale behind us staying married for 30 years, a cost and a commitment. We're looking at this series, 40 Days, How to Get the Best Out of Life and a Relationship with God. We've looked at prayer, reading the Bible, fasting, and giving. This week, I'm going to look at the subject of serving. I think that we live in a generation which is child-centered, and we've developed an entitlement culture. What does the Bible say about this and serving one another? Well, Jesus gives us this great demonstration, and it's in John chapter 13, and I'm going to read the first 17 verses to you. In my Bible, it says, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. If you know anything about church tradition, you know this is something that is often done this coming Thursday. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved 
his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I have set you an example, so that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'd love to pray. Jesus, I thank you for this example in the word about you. I pray that we feel ministered to you by, by you this morning. Lord, just as the disciples would have literally felt the touch of Jesus as he poured the water and washed the feet, I pray that we feel a touch of Jesus today. We don't just want to come and and almost have our our heads tickled, our minds challenged. We want our very lives to be different. I pray as we listen to your word, it will change us for your glory. Amen. Feet washing. It's not something that we tend to think a lot about nowadays. If we're totally honest... It was very different in those days. There was no tarmac road. There was no welly boots. You know what I'm saying? People just wore open sandals. It was a dusty road. When they got somewhere, their feet were filthy. And so often they would wash one another's feet. If you were a a child at school, it was considered a sign of respect to wash your teacher's feet. If you're a wife, it was considered a sign of respect to maybe wash your husband's feet. If you're a a child, you might do it to an adult, a pupil to a master. A teacher never, ever did it to their pupil. You just wouldn't have done it. I sometimes think we've heard this story so many times that that we, we lose the shock of it. You think about it. We don't do it now. Why don't we do it? Because we've got doormats. 
The reality is someone walks in the house and they just hopefully have a quick brush on the old doormat and you keep going. We don't ask a person to do it. We just got some mat, you know, that, that's done it. There. And if we're really pleasant, we put welcome on it. Or, or mind the kids, you know, depends what kind of family you are. But this was Jesus actually saying, I'm prepared to get down and wash somebody's feet. And I want us to look at the example of serving that he has set for us. Jesus sets us this incredible example of how do you serve. He was the one that created the world. And yet he can be so different to us, to me. If I'm really honest, I can be self-sufficient. I think I will get by and do it on my own. Or we can get caught up in a world where it's all about the spectacular and who's the celebrity and who's got the most followers on Twitter. Or maybe we think, oh, it's who, who's got the most successful car, the most powerful job. It's not a, a quality that necessarily we take on now. Muhammad Ali, when I was a kid, he used to be the great boxer. You know, I fly like a wasp, I sting like a bee. He said at this, at home, I'm a nice guy, but I don't want the world to know. Humble people, I've found, don't get very far. I wonder if that's your approach. Even this morning, you're sat in church and you think, golly, why would you think about serving? I don't want to serve. I want to be served. That can so often be our challenge in society, can't it? It says in, in Matthew, one of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus called his disciples together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, I think this is a real challenge, isn't it, to our own heart? Do I really want to come and serve? What's this 40 days, Pete? Why are we talking about this? This is what the Bible clearly challenges us on. In fact, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's four people that all wrote accounts of what went on. In, in, the, in the account of Luke, the disciples had even been arguing about who was the greatest. I think Jesus likes me more. You know, they were literally going along the road saying, I think I'm his best. Do you ever get that? You know, so I, was, I was like, I, I think they really like me. And actually what Jesus says is, if you really want to succeed, I want you to serve. Jesus is motivated by love. Having loved his own who are in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. I think if we're really honest, uh, we haven't got Jesus here. Many of us would look at a mum and think a mum really served. I was one of three boys. I was the middle one. I used to play football every Saturday afternoon. I mean, my mum just absolutely loved her boys. Do you know, when I was in the bath after a football game, my mum would wash my football boots. I, I told that story to my wife. She didn't pick up on the hint ever. <laughs> I said, there's nothing quite like a mother's love, is there? You know what I'm saying? Mums love because they serve. Well, actually, I think that's true of Jesus. He says, I want to show you that I love you. If you read that, the whole Gospel of John, you haven't got time for it today, you'll have to trust me. In the first 12 chapters, they only mention the word love six times, but in the next four chapters, Jesus mentions it 31 times. Because what he says is, I love you. 
You might not go to church very often. You might think, what's he going on about? What I want you to walk away is to know this. Jesus loves you. This is what the Bible says. He was motivated by love. As you come to Easter, as you think, what's this 40 days they're going on about? What you need to know is the Bible says Jesus loves you. His love is portrayed despite the fact he's about to be betrayed by the very disciples that he's expressing love to. You see, Jesus is secure in who he is. He knows that the Father has put all things under his power and he's come from God and was returning to God. See, as Christians, why could we serve? Because ultimately we know who we are. How do we know who we are? We know who we are because the Bible says you're children of God. If you're a Christian, it means literally you've been adopted by God, loved by God, part of his family. I mean, isn't that an incredible thing for us? You know, it's almost like an expression of, God, he loves me so much, why couldn't I serve somebody else? In this story we hear about Jesus, he initiates serving. He doesn't have to be asked I mean, doesn't that just show the real heart of a servant? I told you I grew up with two brothers. My mum tried the best that she possibly could. You know, we used to have a rotor about who was to do the washing up or the drying up. You know, in those days, there were no dishwashers, you know what I'm saying? And after dinner, it all had to be washed up. And I, we could argue for, it felt like hours. It's not my turn. I did it last time. It's his turn. There was no sort of initiate who could possibly serve my mum. It's not fair. That's not, that's not like the case with Jesus, though, is it? I mean, he was head of the table. He'd had three years with these disciples. We know there was 12 guys around him, plus others that would have been in the room. Jesus does it's not fair. This is my last meal. Could somebody just do something for me? Jesus is not like that at all, is he? I mean, he, he knew what was about to happen. He knew he was about to die for these guys. But before he did it, he thought, you know what? I'm going to wash their feet. What love. It's incredible. What an example to us. You see, he had nothing to prove because his self-worth was not based on his actions. It was knowing that he'd come from God. He had nothing to lose because actually he knew that everything he needed was given direct from God. He had nothing to hide. And so therefore, he was able to get up and set us a model of how to serve. He says, doesn't he, I have set you as an example, in verse 15, that you should do as I have done for you. I was thinking as I was planning about this morning, I thought, you know what, I should get Noble and Ivy out here and, and wash their feet. I said, you know... And then I thought, well, no, maybe Ivy's really ticklish and that could get really awkward, couldn't it? You know, she's just, uh, Noble's up for it. Afterwards, I will still do it. Great. <laughs> no, 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 no. You see, <laughs> I, I'd use my hair just to dry your feet. There's this whole challenge. But then the challenge is we turn it into a sacrament rather than an example. And our danger is we turn it into a religious practice. And so I thought, well, if I do do that, everyone's going to think, oh, well, actually, you've just done the exercise. But actually, Jesus wasn't saying this is an exercise that you should go and do. He was saying this is a lifestyle that you should go and live. And so our danger is that we take the very model of Jesus and we turn it into a little ritual. 
And the ritual will be that I know that he, he's scrubbed up pretty well today, hasn't he? And so I think, oh, well, actually, maybe I would wash his feet today because it's Sunday and I think he's probably bathed on Saturday or something. <laughs> and I think, well, you know, yeah, I reckon I could give it a go today. So I've turned it into a little ritual. Whereas actually what Jesus is saying is I want this to be your example. When he's just been on his feet for 10 hours and had parents' evening and comes home absolutely shattered, Oh, would I do it then? It should be a lifestyle. Not just washing the feet, but serving other people. There's a Danish proverb that goes like this. What you are is God's gift to you. What you do with yourself is your gift to God. And I sometimes think, when do we stop and think, actually, how do I live for God? John Maxwell, he's an American author and speaker. He says this, everyone wants to be thought of as a servant, but no one wants to be treated like one. So some of us, if we're really honest, then maybe you go to church more regularly, you think, oh, Pete, I know that we're called to be servants. We'd like to be thought of one, but do we really want to be treated like one? If someone just says, oh, God, just put that stuff away there. If someone says, oh, God, stack all the chairs afterwards. We'd be saying, why do I have to stack all the chairs? When we get treated like it, how do we really feel about it? Jesus says, serving leads to a blessed life. Oh, sometimes I think you could just spend a whole morning on one verse like that, couldn't you? I think, do you want a blessed life? Most of us go, yes. I say, great, serve. Oh, no, I wanted to be blessed. (laughs) Well, Jesus says, if you serve, you will be blessed. Whereas often, so often, what we think is, you know, if if I've really made it, people will serve me. John Piper, uh, he's a pastor and author in the United States. He says, for his sake, referring to God, and for your joy, go low. I love this. He said, it's almost like, actually, if you really want to live for Jesus, and if you really want to have a joyful life, Be prepared to serve other people. Another quote I just want to bring you. This was an American botanist and inventor by George Washington Carver. He said, it's not the style of clothes one wears, neither the kind of automobile one drives, nor the amount of money one has in the bank that counts. These mean nothing. It is simply service that measures success. Golly, I'd never, you know, I think this so challenges me. I've got three kids. My kids are, are older than Noble and Ivy's. But I know this, that when they get to secondary school, my kids didn't want to be seen with me. They, they used to say to me, Dad, you cannot take us, you cannot drive us to school. I've got a Vauxhall Sephira. If you've got one too, I'm not trying to offend you. But they're not high fashion statements, are they? Very functional car. I've had one for years. You know, they said, Dad, you can only ever drive us to school if you pick us up in a red Ferrari. You know, it's almost like, well, we'd all like to be seeing that, wouldn't we? And yet, actually, he's saying what really shows success is not that you turn up in a red Ferrari. It's that you're willing to serve others. So in one respect, I would say this, is, this has been my tip. 
The tip on parenting is this. How do we model to our kids that we serve? Do they catch us serving? But I'd also just like to say that I believe that this picture has got something for everyone here because I believe this story is a picture that we all need washing. This is part of the gospel leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know it was just before the Passover feast. Now, some of you might say, well, what's the Passover feast? The Passover was a celebration, really, of how God had delivered them in the Old Testament. It was when they were slaves in Egypt, and and Moses came, and they'd had all these sort of plagues. There was ten plagues, and then suddenly there was the last one where they put blood on the doorpost, and they ate this sacrificial lamb. And then basically it says, actually, God is going to set you free from the past and your slavery and your bondage, and he's going to bring you to an inheritance. And they had this festival called Passover. Well, we know it was Passover now. And we know that at the beginning of this gospel, his cousin, John the Baptist, has said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when we really understand this picture, oh, it happened upon, he put that Passover in there so that we start understanding the context of when this occurred. Jesus knew the time had come. That's the context that we're reading this in. Well, again, we know from uh, the Gospel of Matthew that you're to give him the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. Jesus was always aware of the times. When asked to change water into wine, he said, oh, my time's not quite here. He didn't rush and see Lazarus because he knew that he had to wait four days. He was always predicting his death and resurrection. He understood the time has come. This is not just some last meal. This is a really significant time. And he then shows them the full extent of his love. You might not know loads of the Bible. The one verse that you are likely to know is from this book, John. John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, And so basically, Jesus here is prepared to pay the price so that these disciples who are guilty can be set free. These disciples who are full of shame can know peace. That's true for you now. It says in Romans chapter 5, Paul is writing one of the letters, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Why we were sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, there's a picture going on in here. It's not just washing feet. He's prepared to die for them. In fact, there's another letter in the New Testament. The New Testament is the second half of the Bible. It's really the count of things after the life of Jesus. It says in 1 John 4, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus came, there's a picture, he was prepared to be that lamb that died in our place so that if we took his blood and put it over the doorposts of our life, we would be spared judgment and instead have an inheritance. And so suddenly there's a picture going on here. Nelson Mandela said, the president of South Africa, in my country... We go to prison first and then become president. He said, I understood what it was to serve. I understood what it was. Was it 27, 28 years? 
I went and visited Robin Island, went and visited the cell where he'd been. He understood something of that. It's almost like before he, well, actually, I would say he was only copying the example of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells us in Philippians that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So on the one hand, as we approach Easter and we're thinking about our 40 days we've been doing this series, there's an example for us to serve. And that's true for everyone. But you know what? There's also a picture here that we need to be washed. And yet you look such a clean, lovely bunch. He said, really? In the story, there's two people that challenge me. One is Judas. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that Judas was the disciple, though he's one of the twelve, that actually he went to the chief, um, chief priest and said, basically, I can hand Jesus over to you. He ended up kissing Jesus, betraying him in the garden. They then arrested him and took him away. But actually, in this meal, his feet are washed. Do you know what I find scary about that? The outward symbol didn't save him. And I sometimes think that we think the outward appearance will save us. Judas had his feet washed. But it didn't save him. We can turn up at church with all our best gear on and really look the part. It doesn't save us. That's quite sobering, isn't it? The other person in the story that bothers me because I was named after him is Peter. Because Jesus comes along and says, actually, I want to wash your feet. And Peter says, no. What's that? It's pride. The reality is Jesus will offer to wash your feet today, but are you too proud? Oh, I don't need that. I don't need Christianity in my life. I can get by on my own. I've worked hard for years. Well, it's nice for Noble and Ivy this morning, isn't it? Not for me. Jesus offers us forgiveness and grace and love, but we can be too proud to take it. Can I ask you a question? Do you recognize your need of being spiritually washed? Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross for you? That he rose again? That he took a punishment we deserve? Do you realize that if you say sorry for what you've done wrong and ask for his forgiveness, you can be completely clean? This story in John 13 should inspire all of us. It is an example of how we are to serve. It's also a picture that we all need to be washed. I'd like to pray. I would like to pray this morning for every single parent in the room. If you're a parent, I want your kids to catch you serving. And they just think, you know what? 
I know my parents served. They've caught something of Jesus Christ. I'd love to pray for you. But I'd also love to pray for any Judas or Peter in the room. That you think, God, I'm here. And there's an opportunity to be washed. I'm going to pray that you don't miss it. I'm going to pray that the outward symbol doesn't prevent you from actually getting the real thing. I'm going to pray that your pride does not get in the way. So let's take a moment to pray. Jesus, we want to thank you so much that you set us an example of how to serve. I pray for every parent in this room. I pray their kids will catch them serving. I pray they model something. Not, oh, look, everything's got to be done for me and for my convenience. I pray, God, that they catch something of the heart of Jesus. Lord, I pray our kids see us just helping carry buggies on and off trains, up and down steps, putting bins out for people. I pray our kids catch us picking up litter, offering people a lift, going out of our way. I pray that there's this heart of serving, not that we just wash somebody's feet as a ritual, but it's a lifestyle because we know we're loved. I pray as well. I pray there be no Judas or Peter left in this room. That when the offer comes from Jesus, I will wash you. I will make you clean. That there's no pride that gets in the way. There's no outward appearance. I'm okay. I'm a survivor. Skin of my teeth. I'll do it on my own. I pray instead that people will gladly accept the washing of Jesus today. Amen.